tonight on The Goblin's Corner. Everything in space is human. That's how we roll. 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 Welcome to the Goblin's Corner. My name is Eric. And I'm Matt. And tonight? Tonight we're doing Everything in Space is Human. Exactly. Now, you might be asking yourself, self, this is a bit of an odd title for an episode. What does it actually mean? Well, we have the answer. It's true. The answer is every alien in media is a variant human. And I hate it. It drives me crazy. This has been a pet peeve of Matt's for as long as I've known him. And I have to admit, I get somewhat of a pet peeve out of this as well. And so tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to show you how to create unique alien species that don't look like humans. Yeah. They're not humans with just, you know, pointy ears. Yeah, they're not humans that... Forehead ridges. That's nicer than what I was going to say. I was going to say it was a love child with a cheese grater. But yeah, forehead ridges. I mean, what? Nothing wrong with Klingons. We got Klingon love, but we're just saying... And we understand why they were made, and we'll get to that, all of that as well. But first... Question of the week time. Uh-huh. So since we're talking about aliens, what's your favorite alien creature from any media? Hmm. My, would you say intelligent alien creature or just any alien? You can do any, but you can do both. I like Tribbles because they're cute. <laughs> sure. Who doesn't like a spare throw pillow? It's 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 true. <laughs> I've never heard that before. I was thinking of like a fuzzy pet rock, honestly. Mm. But a spare throw pillow works very well too for that. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. I also really enjoy Muppets. So sure. Due to that, I really like whatever the creature Salacious Crumb is in Star Wars. I can see that. Wobabantha poodoo. Ho 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 ho. Yeah. I I can do a better imitation of that, but I can only do it at volume, and I will blow out the mic. Yeah, we have dynamic mics, but that doesn't mean that he can't <laughs> blow them out very quickly. Yeah, those would be my two. Something cute and something Muppet-like. I can see that. I would also, anything from Farscape as an alien-like pilot would also yeah. account for that. Again, Muppet-like. Yep. What about you? What would be your favorite alien creature, intelligent or otherwise? Honestly, uh, mostly more their story than their design. Mm-hmm. The Skittermanders from Starfinder. Skittermanders are awesome. They're Stitch meets Greeks. <laughs> you might want to explain that just a tad. Okay, so theoretically, the Skittermanders were conquered. We're going to throw big quotes around the word conquered there. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, yeah, you beat us. Now we're going to do whatever we want. Like, oh, you you want us to build that? Okay, we're going to build it our way. Oh, also, the way you're doing things is ridiculous. Let us show you a better way to do everything. And so, realistically, even though they were conquered, they're still the ones in charge. It's just other people are giving orders-ish. But if the Skittermanders don't like the orders, they go and do a different job. Yeah, they basically run the show. Yeah. Without letting anybody else be aware of it. Yes. Are you an alien or perhaps you're in charge? Write to us. Info at goblinscorner.com or you can reach me, Eric at goblinscorner.com or me, Matt at goblinscorner.com. And of course, you can find us on all the things. Indeed. Such as Twitter. Yeah. At Goblins Corner, my friends. It's the happening thing. Okay, so everything in sci-fi is human. We've mentioned that we kind of had a bit of a chip of our, on our shoulder about this. It's true. So what do we mean by this specifically, Matt? Bipedal, mm-hmm. bilateral, primarily mammalian. Yep. I mean... This seems to be the default go-to for pretty much every sci-fi story. Now, there's many reasons behind this. Obviously, people like the plucky humans, the very adaptable humans. Humans are exceptionally adaptable in every single game. Yeah against some kind of strange alien species or a set of strange alien species. Absolutely. But it's in everything. All of it. Yeah. Now, okay. We know that 
part of this is because consumers, whether they're readers or players or what have you, like to be able to identify with someone in a sci-fi series. <laughs> and I get that. Uh, but there could be other species than bipedal animals running around. Absolutely. But examples of humans being in everything or human-like creatures being in everything, I mean, just take a guess. Star Trek, mm -hmm. Babylon 5, Star Wars, for the most part. I mean, there's a lot of bipedals in Star Wars. Yep. Uh, Farscape, Doctor Who, and the list goes on. Right. It, it, the point we're trying to make is, is that there seems to be a lack of non-bipedal, non-mammalian creatures in sci-fi. Which, if you think about it, it's kind of silly. It's very silly. So why does this happen? Okay, there's several reasons. One of which is less so in visual product, like in TV shows and stuff like that. When it happens in books, it's because it's lazy writing. That is, that is my only answer. Sure. Or by underestimating the reader... Yeah. Assuming assuming that they would that it's they can't conceptualize yeah. yeah. I can't conceptualize this creature because it doesn't look somewhat like human and thus because I can't conceptualize it, I can't identify with it, and so on and so forth. But there's plenty of books out there that have strange and crazy looking aliens. If you write a love story or any other thing that is a human touchstone, people will connect with it. Yes. There's dinosaur erotica. There you go. That's all you need to know. That's both frightening and I'm slightly interested in that. Uh, in addition to that, back in the day when special effects were maybe somewhat lackluster or you didn't have a lot to work with. Or even today, honestly, just yeah. it, your budget and what is available is going to determine what you can show. It's easier to do humanoid creatures and aliens because of that, because you can find actors for it. Sure. Look at Doctor Who. Yep. They did what they could. Yeah. And we get that. We cut room for budget, right? Like we we understand that you aren't making a blockbuster every single episode and nobody can afford that. We get it. Mm -hmm. But there's also a lack of imagination, especially in that genre, because, oh, well, we can't afford it. So we're just going to do something very humanoid. Really? Why not have a lightning bolt slinging flying sea cucumber that spits out Kraken? You well, could. Well, not just that, but take Vulcans, for example, space elves. So you take your space elf. Okay. Why are they human skin toned? Paint is cheap. That's very true. Right. There's so many minor tweaks that you could have done that wouldn't have broken your bank that would have provided you with at least... A little more variety. Well, take the Andorians in Star Trek, for example. I mean, they're blue. They've got, yeah, they got funny little antennas and stuff like that. That's kind of cool. Sure. Now, granted, they're still bipedal, played by actors, which is totally fine. Right. But at least they've given a little bit of thought to things like that. At least you branched a little bit. Yeah. So you can do different things. Now, the final reason I would say is a lack of scientific knowledge. And I think that's fair. I think as sciences in theoretical biochemistry and things like that advance, some of the more hardcore science, mm -hmm. science fiction writers are possibly going to delve into that a little more deeply. Yeah. So I hope so, because... There's a whole host of really interesting things found in just in our nature. Absolutely. That you can use as a basis. And then with a little bit of understanding of chemistry or a little bit of understanding of maybe theoretical biology and stuff like that, you can have some really awesome, interesting aliens that don't look anything like a person. Absolutely. And, and explore that in a, in a game. Because as you know, I am not terribly interested in the math side of hard science fiction. But I am very interested in the biology side. Sure. So. So why is this a problem, Matt? Technically, it's not, right? 
it's i mean technically it's not actually a problem yeah it's just boring and it does nothing to reflect the vast array of possibilities that could exist in the universe your game could be so much more interesting than that and it should yes and that's why we're here yep. case in point we'll give you a perfect example so starfinder which is a role-playing game and some of you have played it and if you haven't you should has lots of bipedals yeah you know you've got they've got elves They've yeah. got humans, they've got dwarves and so forth. It's magic in space as well, which is delightful. Yeah. It's sci-fi though, sci-fi fantasy, but it also has an amazing assortment of other things you can play. Skittermanders, for example. Yes. And whatever those rolling... Uh, the nose, nose on the ball. Yeah, the nose that rolls around on a ball. So awesome. And they have the Star Wars mentality to it. If it exists in a Star Wars bar, it exists in Starfinder, which I think is really great. Yeah. If it's an alien, you should be able to play the alien unless it's, you know, completely. As long as it's intelligent. Mm-hmm. Yep. You want to play a winged bat? Sure. You want to play a slug? You can. A giant spider person? A giant spider person? That's one of them. A brethedon, which is literally just a jellyfish that floats? Yeah. How cool is that? Put a hat on them? Had a hat and a monocle. I want a jellyfish with a hat uh-huh. and a monocle. Yeah, it's going out in the town, man. He spins mm. spins the little, uh, what is it, a little, uh, little baton around? Yeah. <laughs> He's got, he's got the like, you know, like the magician's baton. My name is Eustace Q. Tentacles. You, yes, Eustace. What is it? Eustace Q. Eustace Q. Tentacles. I love that. Yeah, we're gonna make a character like that. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, so we're getting off track here. What can we do about making some interesting aliens for our sci-fi or sci-fi fantasy campaign? Well, if you are science-minded. You could do some research and make some races that break the mold based off of actual scientific research. Yep. And if you're not, just make some shit up. Yep. Absolutely. And we personally opt for making shit up. It's true. It's easy. You don't have to go into the chemical makeup or environmental statistics of the home world or anything like that. Just piece some things together. Yeah. Now, I will occasionally, just because... Like I said, it is something I'm interested in. Sure. I will absolutely steal some concepts that are directly from theoretical biology. But then I have to encase it in something that I've wholly made up because theoretical biology explains how there could be life in these situations. They still don't have any concept of what it would look like. Very true. There's far too many variables. Now, And that's in terms of role-playing games. That is the important part that we want to focus on is what do they look like? How do they act? What are their behaviors? What do they taste like? What do they taste like? Yeah, well, you know, going <laughs> to wind up killing one of them. There's going to be a character that maybe wants to take a bite out of that frog person. Absolutely. Okay. We've got it in our heads to make some aliens up. How do we go about doing so, Matt? Let's talk biology for a little bit. Just basic biology. Yeah. We've already given some options for aliens in Let's Talk About Space Part 3. It's true. But let's do a quick recap. Okay. So let's talk about the following factors. Okay. And these are just, if you just want to make an alien really quickly, you want to throw out some stuff, I want you to think about just a couple things. First off, gravity. Sure. If it's uh, really high gravity, they're probably either going to be a shorter race, they're going to be multi-legged, or they are going to be stout. Or compressed. Yeah. yeah. Could be all kinds of stuff. So that's high gravity now versus low gravity. They could be taller. Sure. Because it's not compressing the physical creature down if they're physical at all. Right. You could also consider the environment. If they breathe methane, for example, okay, odds are they're going to have, theoretically, very large livers and much smaller lungs because the processes that would be necessary to process that through are mostly going to take place in the liver and less so in the lungs. If they have livers and lungs. Right. They could also be cyanobacteria of some sort that process methane or chem- what is it, uh, chemo, uh, chemotropes? Yep. Or they could actually just be gaseous creatures made of methane. Yes. So 
think about the environment. What do they eat? What do they require for living or breathing, mating, playing musical instruments, whatever that happens to be? Sure. Uh, the manner of their chemistry is very important because, and, and the easiest way is just figure out a planet. Is it a hot world? Is it a cold world? Is it composed of sulfur dioxide? Is it composed of nothing but lithium? They're very, very level-headed creatures in, on the lithium world. Is it composed of super dense matter? Exotic matter? Something else. Yeah. Could be anything. Speaking of gravity and environment, the next thing we come to... Temperature. Yeah. High temperature versus low temperature. That's going to matter a lot. And if they've got a very light atmosphere, then that temperature change from day to night is going to be enormous. Yes. And this can be temperature extremes such as on the far end of the extreme on hot, it could be swimming around in a star. Sure. Based on plasma-based creatures, for example. Yeah. And then on the lower end of the spectrum, absolute zero, maybe they're composed of elements that only exist when it's extremely cold. So composed of ammonia or methane or something like that. Absolutely. Or even like radioactive creatures. Yeah. Maybe they eat radioactivity. Use that for warmth. These are just a couple of examples. And some of this stuff theoretically could also be based on science too. Keep in mind, we're just making stuff up right now. Light is also very important. Mm Mm-hmm. How close to their star, if they're bounding around a star in the first place, how much light do they get? And what kind of star provides them light? Sure. Case in point, the majority of stars in our galaxy and potentially the rest of the universe are red dwarfs. Red dwarfs give off, guess what, a lot of red light. Yes. And that's way different in terms of plants trying to absorb light than the yellow dwarf that we have. And they, it also tends to be a dimmer light, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, you know, I say dim. It's still a freaking star, but you know what I mean. Yes. The, well, most of the planets that are considered habitable for us would be closer in because they're usually cooler stars than, say, a blue giant. Right. And going on that, a blue giant, things that live on that would definitely look different than something that lives on a red dwarf or around a neutron star. Yeah, and all of them are going to have very different sensory organs. Yes. They may not even be based off of light. Yeah. They could, and that would be the easiest thing to do if you're just trying to, you know, bang something together, but it doesn't have to be. We were talking about atmosphere earlier. Pressure also tends to be something that needs to be considered. So... Uh, the easiest thing to consider is atmospheres of pressure. If you're living in a gas giant, the further down you go, the more the pressure condenses you, crushes you. That's true. I always, when I think of creatures in a gas giant, I tend to think of either gaseous creatures or balloonish creatures. I don't tend to think of things deeper into it, but I don't see any reason why not. And look at deep sea creatures. So the anglerfish is a good example of that. Now, it looks like a a hideous-looking fish. So what you're saying is anything deeper in is going to be fugly. Yeah, it's going to be hideous. Of course. Horrible tendrils, chthonic in nature, skewed geometry, perhaps. Now, the anglerfish is kind of an extreme example of deep-sea creatures, but there's crabs and what I would consider regular-looking fish that live at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. And the only difference is the atmospheric pressure. In this case, the pressure of the water. And dope bioluminescence. And dope bioluminescence, yeah. It just happened to glow. So you could consider extreme atmospheres of air or gas, as well as liquid, or maybe they live in dirt or ground. Sure. What do they look like? Maybe they look like regular fish. Imagine a fish that swims in the ground and talks to you because it's an alien. Sure. It's possible. Absolutely. Could be a sandworm. Yeah. How do they how does a sandworm get around? Who knows? Speaking of getting around. Yeah. Mobility. How easy 
is it for these things to get around? What are it's it's a basic thing that you need to know when making an alien, right? Mm-hmm. How does it get around? How quickly does it get around? How easily does it get around? Does it have fins? Does it have legs? Does it undulate? Yeah, it could. Your three. You t- take your uh, your dirt fish for a second, right? Okay. Now, if this thing gets slapped on a metal starship, it might be problematic for it to get around. Possibly. And therefore, if it's intelligent and a space-going creature, what does its spaceship look like? Hmm. Could be an asteroid. Could be something crazier. Yeah. What if its mobility is directly related to the environment? A case in point, it could be something like a, um, what is it? The, um, like a dandelion. And it is only mobile because it's blown around. Yeah, blown around in the air. How does it get around otherwise? It could be completely intelligent, could be capable of thought. Sure. Maybe it moves psionically. That's a, that's a cool way. Maybe it floats with his mind. Maybe it moves on a million biological uh, centipede legs. Yeah. A little cilia, like a uh, paramecium. And this will also determine how it, it reacts to the environment. Sure. Can it open a door? Can it punch you in the face? It's very important to know. It's very. <laughs> and, f- and finally, you can also consider stuff like uh, its general makeup. And so uh, one example is, is, is it chiral or antichiral? And this is, uh, this is one of those parts where you lose me because this goes into chemistry. Right? Yeah. So, you know, chemi- uh, chemicals can go, can be mashed together in several different ways. Sure. And literally you could have the same grouping of molecules, but Lego blocked opposite and it now becomes a completely different chemical. And DNA can be chiral or antichiral as well. And you might have Creatures which look and act exactly like stuff that we would see on Earth, but they're completely toxic to us, or they can't eat the stuff that we eat. Just cruising around, drinking strychnine, and it could eating be. arsenic. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? And, you know, I'm not a molecular biologist. Neither am I, there clearly. All right. We're going to talk a little bit more about biology, creating aliens, but we'll be right back. Right after these messages. If there are any topics you would like us to cover, goods or services you would like us to review, or if you would like to sponsor an episode, we would love for you to contact us at info at goblinscorner.com. See you there. And we're back. Welcome back. So we're talking aliens, specifically everything in sci-fi is human. And why it shouldn't be. And why it shouldn't be. And we talked a little bit about some basic biology and just kind of getting your brain moving in a direction of to consider creating aliens in a different way. In a Maybe. different mindset. Yeah. yeah. For your TTRPG of choice. Now, we talked a bit about biology earlier before the break, and let's kind of bring it back to the storyteller aspect and the role-playing game aspect. Right. So the thing is, is biology can be delved into if that's your thing and if that's the kind of table you're at. Yeah, if your players like that, then dive into that. And you're if you're able to do that, dive into that. Sure. But if not on either of those, then just drop little nuggets of differences that will help reinforce exactly how alien the universe really is. And the best way to go about that, I would say, is just descriptions. Yeah. Descriptions and maybe if they do like a lore check or something like that, going into, oh yeah, it eats the following things or it behaves a specific way, that sort of thing. You don't have to explain how this uh, cylindrical rock creature with five tentacles exists. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's in a game. Sure. So long as you can describe it well and get the alienness of the game and the alien, you're good. Yeah, Yeah, you're good. All right. So let's talk about some ways to make 
unique aliens. Okay. Let's go in terms of the easiest thing to consider and then maybe go a little bit harder or more difficult to explain away on a, on a table. Okay. Now, now, I would say the first thing is is just don't make it mammalian. Yeah, absolutely. So you could have a bipedal creature, but just don't don't make it look human. Sure. Make it, <laughs> a, make it a fish person, a lizard person. Reptiles. Yeah, proto-mammals even, like a prosimian. Be kind of cool. So that's mammalian, but still kind of kind of chimpish. Like think of a think of a lemur. Sure. I'm thinking Momo from Avatar: The Last Airbender, the flying lemurs. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I got you. Uh, Doesn't have to be human sized. That's true. I mean, you could always have super intelligent camel people. You could. Yeah. You could have plants, fungi, animal, vegetable, or mineral. Absolutely. That is the easiest thing. If you just want to create a really quick alien, write them all down, spin the wheel. Shows up, oh, frog. Okay, cool. We'll make a frog person. Bam. I mean, half of the monster's manual in D&D was probably created like that. They just had a dartboard and they just threw a a dart against the wall and, oh, it landed on insect again. No wonder there's so many insects in D&D. They're all giant. Now, let's say you've considered that Another thing you could do is consider what? Shape. Again, very easy. Just consider a shape and then fill in the blanks from there. For example, you could do something that's trilateral. Okay. Right? Three faces instead of being able to be bisected and exactly the same on these So like a Zorn? Yes, very much like a Zorn. That's a great way to go could go multilateral so many different directions and so forth yeah you could do something that's non-humanoid at all you could do something that's animalian that isn't humanoid right take a let's use momo your example okay momo the flying lemur is super intelligent it is now an Alien species, like an intelligent alien species, Mm -hmm. even though it's, what, 18 inches tall or whatever, he's not a big creature. So could be an octopus. Octopus are intelligent. Very. And scientists believe that should humans ever get wiped out, that they'll be the ones that replace us. It's still delicious. Uh, You could have an amorphous creature. So like a ooze or a slime or just something with pseudopods. Yep. It could be quasi-amorphous as well. Maybe only parts of it kind of flow, and maybe there's like a hard shell. It's got a crunchy outside and a gooey inside. Yeah, like a nautilus, but with an amoeba inhabiting it. That would be kind of cool. Could be even geometric, right? Could be cylindrical, as you stated, or rectangular, what have you. Yeah, and lots of plants are... You know, have a cylindrical, like trees are cylindrical, basically. I sure. Mean, they kind of branch out. It could be, bran- it could branch out like a tree. It could be plant-like in its nature. So it may not have any type of geometry that we would consider to be lateralism. Right. It could just radiate out in various directions. Based like off cor- of stimulus. Yeah. yeah. Be coral, like coral. Yeah. Well, not coral, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Coral, trees. Yeah. So what we like to do is we like to do the mashup method. Now, if you've listened to Chimeras, either part one or part two, you'll understand what we mean. Grab a bunch of animals that you like, or again, vegetables or minerals as well. Absolutely. Objects. I mean, go crazy. Chuck them in a blender. Chuck them in a blender. Mash them together. You've got your alien right there. Many of the properties that we had for Chimeras work perfectly well for aliens. Very much so. Uh, the easiest thing to do is, at that point, you're going to want to make a chimera and then reskin it with a singular type of skin. Yes. It's a chimera in space. Exactly. <laughs> okay. We've not made it mammalian. Right. We've talked about the shape. Mm-hmm. Now let's consider the structure of it. Now, this is a little more difficult to get into detail because you're going to have to put a little bit more thought into it. But- this will really make some crazy aliens. Yes. What do we mean by structure? Well, there are 
multiple natures of matter, right? States of matter. Exactly. Solid, liquid, gas, plasma, Mm -hmm. energy. And you actually added to this engineered something that's not natural at all. Yeah. Could also be multi-phased or multi-planar. Maybe a state of matter that exists in multiple realities or multiple dimensions. Something we can't comprehend. Or even something we can only partially comprehend. Now, all of these are great to kind of denote the alienness of the alien. It's pretty easy, like, oh yeah, I've got this rabbit that's you know looks like a rabbit, it's an intelligent rabbit. But if it's based at a plasma rabbit, well, that's even more crazy. Yeah. Or this physical form that doesn't exist in a solid state in room temperature. I was gonna say, Momo, your mm-hmm. your former example, is a self-contained liquid. It's flying lemur-shaped, but it is strictly liquidous. So you can explain this away by temperature, gravity, or atmospheric pressure. It doesn't have to be, but that's an easy way to describe why it's in a different phase of matter. Sure. I bet they don't, you know, liquidous creatures probably don't sunbathe because evaporation's dangerous. It depends on... On (laughs) On what liquid. Yeah. Most creatures... And sci-fi are solid, but you can always consider other phases of matter. That alone makes for really interesting RPing and problems for your characters and for those species. Yeah, because if you're existing in a what we consider solid world and you're made of plasma, bad times. Yeah, how do you how do you handle that? Now, is it plasma at room temperature or plasma at a million degrees. Right. Again, could be disastrous, could be fun to play out. And it could just be something that you get to witness but is not feasibly or not feasibly interactable. Yes. Another consideration, size. Very simple. You can just literally change the size of a creature. Absolutely. Take insects for example. Okay. On our world, they're relatively small. Underwater, they get much bigger. Yes. Lobsters can get very big indeed. Crabs can get pretty big as well. You have to take into the fact, uh, into account the fact that the environment that spawns these things also determines what size they can get to. If you want to have Mr. Roach be a stellar capable creature because the planet they came from allowed them to get big enough to both manipulate their environment and have big enough brains to do all of the necessary things. That's how it's going to be. Go crazy. Yeah. Now, an easy rule of thumb is just don't make it a medium-sized creature. Sure. You can go tiny or large. That's the easiest thing to do. No one says you have to be this size to be intelligent. And right. spacefaring, it could be the you know it could be it literally could be the size of bacteria. Do you remember the movie Batteries Not Included? Of course. Okay, for those of you who don't know, it, imagine a Whopper Junior. They're tiny. They're tiny, intelligent spaceships. Right. They are engineered, but imagine if that was a full-size spaceship for creatures. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be great. Something to consider. Now, another thing that I would like to mention is the whole creature doesn't have to be outlandish. It doesn't have to be gigantic or short or whatever. You could just have the appendages be very long or tall or big or whatnot. Could be limbs. Could be a big head. Maybe its phallus is gigantic or small. Who knows, right? Whatever it, whatever it happens to be. Really? <laughs> I mean, it could have a big dick, guys. I mean, you never know. And that that's very alien to some people. Sure. Imagine, if you will, a creature with exceptionally tall limbs. So maybe like standard body, but just like a person on stilts. That would be freakish. Slenderman. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, that's that's freakish, right? That's alien. Moving that herky jerky kind of motion. Yeah, be great. I mean, for a given value of great. Something else we can consider is composition. We, and life on this planet, 
are carbon-based. Yep. Doesn't have to be. Well, silicon has similar covalent bonds that carbon does. Mm-hmm. You could have it composed of that. We're not, just because we're carbon-based doesn't mean we're lead pencils. Right. We're or not, diamonds for that. Yeah, that's what it's about Although, if you crush us, we do turn into oil. Think about that. Yeah. Mr. Shine, him diamond. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> shine like a diamond? Oh, no. I was going with the uh, Discworld thud. Oh, even Mr. better. Mr. Shine, that's him much diamond. Better than what I was thinking of. So consider what it's composed of. Now, that's really hard to describe, and that's why it's kind of lower on the list here. But right. if you can conceptualize that, you could conceptualize visually what it might look like, what it might act like, and so forth. Could com- composed of exotic materials. Maybe it exists in a very strange environment. Maybe in a neutron star, for example. Could be. That'd be really cool. That's also one of those explanations you can keep in your pocket for somebody having to make a very difficult medicine check. Oh, yes. Is it's not just alien physiology. It's alien chemistry and physiology. Mm-hmm. That's a great explanation for why different creatures are more difficult to work on. Right? Yes. A doctor in a real sci-fi setting is a freaking super genius. I mean, yes, they're working with a great deal of technology also. But they're also like one part vet, one part doctor, one part exobiologist. I mean, they have to know a lot of stuff. It's crazy. Now, up until this point, we've been talking about singular aliens as in a individual creature. Another consideration is they're non-singular entities. What do we mean by that? It means it could be a communal organism. And by the way, this takes place in nature already. Jellyfish, for example, are communal organisms. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, a batch of cyanobacteria. Why not? Why not? Yeah, it could be something like that. They could have combined intelligences as well. So maybe they're individual animals or creatures or aliens or whatnot, but individually they they aren't smart. They're, maybe they have to be like a hive mind. Uh, consider ants. Like an ant hive could be a singular intelligence made up of individual creatures. Historically in Dungeons and Dragons, that's the way that cranium rats worked, right? Oh yeah, the additive mind for the cranium rats. Yeah, the the more of them you had, the smarter they got communally. Mm-hmm. And once they left the radius of that hive, not only did they revert to being singular and very unintelligent, the hive dropped intelligence because they lacked that computing power. They could also be symbiotic or parasitic. And this, by the way, the trill in Star Trek is very similar to that, That's too. what I was thinking. That's uh, Dax, right? Yeah. Yeah. I got one. <laughs> now, harder to describe, but definitely interesting in my book is how they communicate or see or sense the world. Yes. And you want to really ramp up the alien notion of this creature? Think about that. Obviously, visual's the easiest thing. Maybe they have a, uh, they communicate by color change or bioluminescence, or maybe they see specific frequencies that we don't see. Absolutely. And one of the things we can consider, once again, just take a cue from nature, right? Octopi speak through color change. Mm-hmm. Deep sea critters speak through bioluminescence. Lots of things also use scent. Oh, yeah. They can communicate by pheromones and such. You could also do touch, so vibrational or physical code. I like the idea of that. And when we start talking about sample aliens, I'm going to touch on that. And then one that you may not consider, emitting radiation. Maybe it emits something. So echolocation is a good example that sends out a sonic pulse. Maybe it sends out light waves or radiation or heat or something. And when it comes back, it senses that that's kind of cool and very alien. Very. And honestly, if you described echolocation to your players 
from a non-bat and a non or a non-dolphin, it's still going to be alien. Yeah. Even though we understand the concept, it's freaking weird. Because we don't see it. Right. A bit harder to describe, but definitely something you should include in an alien of any type is their behaviors. Only makes sense. That, that is one of the definitions of alien, after all. Aliens should be somewhat incomprehensible to humans. Humans. Yeah, make them a mystery. That way you may not even need to physically alter them too much. You could make them bipedal, but have them act weird, right? And there's lots of different ways you could do that. It could be something that they eat, socialization. Things that they wear. Yeah. It could be things that they learn or how they learn. Imagine, for example, they have to absorb something else's brain to learn something. That would suck for you. Not good. Suboptimal. Don't want to be a teacher in that school. I wonder, could you live an amazing life as a student with just the caveat that they get your brain when you die? That'd be kind of cool to explore. I would. Where do I sign? Um, but also, you can do the, you know, what makes it, the whole world go around mating, right? You have to propagate the species. Sure. How does that, imagine perfectly human looking aliens that have something more akin to a uh, praying mantis mating ritual. Bite the head off and consume the body. <laughs> that would really suck. It would, but... But that would be very alien to consider. Yes. Don't want to do a one-night stand with that person, let me tell you. Well, that's all it ever is. Yeah. And <laughs> consider this as well. Speaking of eating bodies and such, food. Mm, yeah. If, what if their biology requires things that you might find poisonous, humans might find poisonous or toxic, or just different things? How does our food taste to them? And then what if it drives specific behaviors that are antisocial or strange or, maybe, you know, just not the normal carbon-based life form thing? We, as humans, tend to consider eating a very communal thing. It would be very plausible for some aliens not to. What if they consider chewing to be a horrible thing to consider because they have a proboscis and they spit up acid to digest their their nutrients? They're like, what is this mashing of things? How barbaric of you. Why don't you just throw up on the, on the meal and suck it up? Why don't you drink it like a normal creature? Drink your shake like a normal creature. You're, you disgust me. <laughs> that'd be that'd be awesome. I'm gonna have to play a fly creature now. <laughs> and the the freaking crab person over on the side with his chalicera just steady tearing into stuff is just like screw you, clown. Yeah, I'm eating my hamburger, damn it. Okay, so these are just a couple of examples, hopefully to get your brain kind of moving around, juices flowing and such. But obviously, because we are who we are, we've got to come up with some aliens, man. You got to do it. These are just a sample, by the way, and literally took us 10 minutes. Yeah. All right. Hit me with this first one. Oh, fish people. <laughs> just making fish people. Are they fish people like mermaids or are they fish that are people? Both. Okay. You sure. can have either or, or you yeah. can have bipedal fish. Sure. What is it? Red dwarf? Where the, the cat dreams of the mermaid that's backward. It's got a fish head and women legs. I could see that. Yeah, that would be fine too. For me, I got a stony quadruped. Okay, so a quadruped creature that's made entirely of or stone-like? Yes. That'd be kind of neat. And Are you thinking silicoid of yes. some? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they communicate via... Trimmer sense, basically. Mm. They tap it all out. Now imagine, even if they're very intelligent, even if they're just as intelligent as humans, how long is it going to take to work out a communication with a, with a creature that has no ears? Could take a long time. 
certainly depending on who you're playing with, it might take forever. It's true. They might just murder it before they communicate. How about a cylindrical creature composed of plasma and light? A lava lamp. Yeah, a lava lamp. An intelligent lava lamp. That would be fun. What's your next one? A swarm of rectangular crabs which speak in one voice. Imagine these... I'm thinking... <laughs> We're in totally different I'm places. I'm thinking Minecraft crabs. Okay. Yeah. And they just kind of speak all at once. We are the hive. <laughs> I was thinking of a bunch of tiny rectangular Zoidbergs. Oh, <laughs> yeah. How about Zoidberg? <laughs> that would also be great. You could do that too. Yeah. Give give me an alien. All right. I'm going to pun this one. Okay. A gas giant. So a creature that's made of gas. Yeah, like literally a giant made of gas. What kind of gas? Vespine. I approve. How about a 12 foot tall triped composed of compressed nitrogen and ammonia on a frozen world? Okay. So it's a triped creature. Mm-hmm. And it's just made of different chemicals. What would it look like? Who knows? Could I'm thinking honestly something like a triffid. Okay. Be kind of neat. Yeah. And it's purple. Just because. Sure. Uh, we're gonna say that uh frozen nitrogen and ammonia makes purple. Yeah. How about some flying pyrophages that live in a coronal mass ejection of stars? Oh, cool. So this flying Pyrophage that just kind of jumps in and out of a star. Yep. Like the the big solar flares that arc out and you can just see these giant flying creatures just mm-hmm. feeding off of all the plasma. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I and consider this. What kind of spaceship do they have? Oh, I was just thinking that literally that's where they live. Oh, they just live there? Yeah, they're not in they're not in a spaceship. That they're just aliens. That's their environment. I yeah. like that as well. How about an amorphous techno-organic creature composed of bismuth, iron oxides, and fluorine? I don't even know if that can work, but you know what? That's a great description to make an alien from. So we've got a rainbow metallic purple and green creature that is held together at the joints by rust. And electronics. And electronics. It's basically an electronic amoeba with a little bit of Pepto-Bismol thrown in. Okay. I think it'd be cool. Absolutely. Next we've got the Space Sasquatch. And that's all you need to know, folks. Also called a Wookiee. Somewhat, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about a four-foot-tall wallaby with compound eyes? Cute. Rodent-like. About four feet tall, right? That's pretty big. Yes. Big-ass wallaby with compound eyes. Think about that. That's pretty that's pretty neat. That would be cool. And if you wanted to uh kind of expand the, the insectoid mammalian mixture there, you could have mandibles that fold out of the mouth. So it looks like the cute, adorable, smiling little wallaby. Until it opens its and, mouth and screams and this ah. little yeah. yeah, I love that. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna need you to explain this one to me. It's an antichiral, three-foot, subterranean, glowing red lizard with a proboscis and slime secretions as its visual sensors. So imagine, if you were, a three-foot-tall lizard, cave lizard. Okay. It's, it's red. red. It's okay. red. Where its mouth is, there's a proboscis like a fly. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it, has, it secretes slime. And everywhere the slime exists, it can see. So it sees through the slime. What's the range on that? Well, it depends on how much mucus it has. Oh, so the the slime has to be connected. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm more comfortable with that. I was just thinking like this thing's going to hawk a scry loogie on somebody. Well, it has to. Otherwise, it can't see you. I'm talking about- It's like, got a saddle up next to you and kind of ooze some, some secretions on you, and then it can get a good look at you. I was talking about like a scry sensor, like just hawk a loogie on a- on a jet that's flying off. Oh, and it can see whatever's going on. That'd be kind of cool too. It I, would be, but it wouldn't make much sense. That would, yeah, 
That wouldn't make any sense. It doesn't at all. have to, but it still wouldn't. What have you got, Matt? I'm thinking a little two foot tall goat. Okay. Okay. The horns come all the way around the head. I like and this. And point back forward, goat like, right? But they're hollow. And out of the hollow horns are manipulative appendages that come out like uh, tentacles. And just that's how they operate in the world is just. And then they build stuff and hammer and whatever they need to do with uh, their horn tentacles. How about sentient vibrations, which can be heard and felt, but not seen? Are they good vibrations? Yes. They could also be funky beats. We have a mobile crinoid that looks like a flower, which communicates with light. Oh, so it just flashes light at you? Yeah, it's a sunflower. Nice. See what I did there? How about a 50-foot radioactive insectoid, which communicates by emitting radioactivity? So when it says hi, it gives you 50 rads. That sounds awful, but it's a zombie movie. That's very true, yes. A large colony of bacteria which live in other beings and direct their evolution. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Causes hormonal changes. Just just happens. And finally, a 12-dimensional multi-phased being that communicates out of time. So it communicates various things but not in order like a river song yes and our brain because it's our brain what we see is a flaming manatee it it bees that way all hail the flaming manatee so there you have it a few examples ways that you can create fun aliens that aren't human in your campaign ttrpg of choice and we'd appreciate that that's right if we miss anything or you'd like to comment on it, write to us. Info at goblinscorner.com or you can reach me, eric at goblinscorner.com or me, Matt at goblinscorner.com. We're on all the things. Matt, what are some things we're on? On Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, and Twitch. As Goblins Corner. And Instagram. As the Goblins Corner. Did you like our program? Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite player, YouTube and Twitch. If you could do us a favor and click the five stars, give us a review on iTunes, Podchaser, YouTube, it boosts our show and it feeds the hungry algorithm. Which is the flaming manatee, the 12 dimensional multi phased being. I don't think the algorithm's that smart. That's a good point. That's all the time we have for tonight. Once again, my name's Eric. And I'm Matt. We'll see you next time. Good night, folks. The Goblin's Corner has been written and produced by Eric Holden and Matt Staple. D20 did our music. And this has been a subterranean production. Later.